I was seven years old and I was getting ready for my PAL club basketball game. We were sponsored by Garcor Supply. I think we have a picture. Can you figure out which kid I am? Okay. Uh, look at the second row there, right there in the middle. There we go. Uh, 10, number 10. That was me. What a stud. My wife actually still calls me a 10. I'm just saying, okay? But I'll never forget on that wintry night, I was putting on my uh, uh, clothes or my uh, uniform, and I was getting ready to put on my gray sweatpants and gray sweatshirt, and uh, I was kind of putting up my Converse tennis shoes and getting them all tied and strapped up, ready to go, to go hoop it up. When my dad walked up to me and he said, what's that on your forehead? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, yeah, there's something red. Now, I wasn't sure it was a pimple, you know, like the beginning of puberty or something like that. I wasn't sure. And then he went ahead and he asked me, so, well, why don't you go ahead and, you know, kind of pull your shirt up. I want to see if I see any of these other red things. And when I pulled my shirt up on my back, there were multiple little red dots. And do you know what I had? Chicken pox. Yeah. Now, I didn't know anything about chicken pox. I mean, I hadn't been around any chickens. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really sure what that was. But, uh, you know, I thought to myself, this is no big deal. Uh, we'll just move on. And then my dad said some words to me that I will never forget. He looked at me and he said this, son, you're contagious. You have the chicken pox. You will never be able to play basketball tonight. And I thought to myself, what a mean guy. Why would he do that? I was like, I don't care about this contagious thing. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play anyways. And so I went out to the car. I got buckled up. I was ready to go. And he never came outside. Finally, I went back into the house and he said, I mean it with a stern voice. You are contagious. You'll get your whole team sick. You can't go. And for the next two weeks, I was quarantined in my house, and I was not a happy camper. Does this sound familiar to any of you? I mean, right now, there are tons of people who have the coronavirus throughout our nation, throughout our world. We're being quarantined. We have social distancing. Many of us are fearful and afraid for our lives or the lives around us. But I think the greatest fear that many people have right now is they're afraid that they're contagious. That maybe they would give it to someone else, to their elderly parents or grandparents or their kids. And they're scared to do that. Now, it's kind of interesting, this word contagious. It literally means this, likely to spread or to affect others, likely to spread or affect others. Now, what's interesting is that this word contagious, folks, is not a virus. It's not a disease. It's just a word. But the word itself means to spread or to affect other people. You know, sometimes I wonder in my own kind of walk with God, how contagious is my faith? How contagious is my love for God and for other people? Maybe 
you're a person who's checking us out for the first time and you're kind of like, well, I'm not so sure about faith, but I have a feeling sometimes you wonder to yourself, you know, is my attitude contagious? Is my behavior contagious? Is my care? Some of you are looking at this right now and there's fear in your life and you're wondering to yourself, is my fear contagious? Is my doubt contagious? Are my worries contagious? In this season of crisis, many of us are concerned about being contagious, but I just wonder, what are we most concerned about being contagious of? In this season of a national emergency, what would people say you are contagious of? What is it? What are you contagious of? Are you contagious with hope? Are you contagious with something else? What is it in your life that you are contagious? The reality is, is that for each of us, we have a contagious piece of our personality. And it kind of leads us to our big idea this morning, and it's this. Contagious hope is more powerful than contagious fear. Contagious hope is always much more powerful than contagious fear. You see, in this difficult time, folks, those of us who are Christ followers, we still need to have hope. You've got to have hope to cope. In the midst of depression and just you and me to have a contagious hope. You know, after Jesus died on the cross, um, his disciples thought it was all done. They had lost all of their hope. They thought the mission and the message, everything was a fail and nothing was going to move. But three days later, folks, Jesus rose from the dead and he gave hope, a contagious hope to everyone. And we talk about contagious hope, but next week, next week we're going to celebrate contagious hope as we celebrate Easter. And from the moment of that very first Easter Sunday until today, Jesus has called all of his friends, his followers, his disciples to be contagious, to have a contagious hope. In fact, his last words before he ascended back into heaven in Matthew chapter 28, he says this. Go to the people of all nations and make them my disciples. Baptize them and teach them to do everything I told you. Do you remember what the very first word of that verse was? Go ahead, shout it out. To the person around you, or if you're by yourself, just shout it out to me. What's the word? The words, go. To go. He didn't say slow down. He didn't say be cautious. He didn't say stop. He actually said to go. Now, in this season of social distancing, God is still calling you and I, folks, to go. He may not be asking you to go out of your house or go around a whole bunch of people, but he's asking you still to go. 
What's he asking you to go to? He's asking you to go to your phone and pick it up and call some people and encourage them. He's asking you to go and to text some people and build them up. He's asking you to go and do FaceTime. He's asking you to go and to Zoom. You know, we're all Zooming now. Everybody's Zooming. But he's asking you to go. Maybe you could go and take groceries to someone. Maybe you could go and, you know, help a neighbor. Maybe you could go and pray for someone. But whatever it is that God may be prompting you to go, to reach out to a neighbor, a friend, a family member, a stranger, whoever it is, that you would go and show his love. You see, the command, folks, is still for you to go. You know, it's very interesting that when God asked you to go, he said to go because of this reason. People matter. People matter to God. And if people matter to God, they need to matter to you. And if they do, then why won't you go in ways that are safe to show love? You know, I think the greatest danger that we have in this season of uncertainty is not some of the things that you may be anxious or worried or concerned about, but I think the greatest danger is this, a per- and toward fear, a personal drift away from God and toward fear. And so the question becomes, how do I avoid the drift? How do I avoid this kind of drift? Well, the first way that you can avoid this drift is by simply reading the Bible. That you could actually say, I'm going to take some time to pick up this book and I'm going to read it. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to open it up and see what God's words could say to me. You know, the one thing within the midst of this crisis that we all have, folks, is extra time. I mean, we all have so much more time on our hands than we've kind of had before. We can't go to the movie theater. You can't go to a sporting event. You can't go shopping. And I know for some of you, that's killing you right now, okay? But you can't go shopping. And for many of us, what we've been doing is we're on all of our devices. We're watching TV and our phones and our iPods and our iPads. I guess iPods you listen to, but anyways, you're looking at stuff, you know, and you're watching stuff on your tablet, and like how much of this can we continue? Why not pick a book up and read it, and not just any book, but the book that may give you the greatest amount of hope that you can have during this season? I mean, you have the time, so why not consider opening up the book and reading it? Now, I want you to know that there was a time in my life in which this book was extremely intimidating to me, and I really didn't want to read it. Uh, It seemed too big. When I would see it on my parents' counter, it was kind of big, and it had some dust on it. I don't know if that was my mom or dad's. I'm not sure. But, you know, it was kind of difficult, and and I just didn't understand it. And sometimes I'd get bored by it, and so I, I just didn't want to deal with it. But once I got baptized, then I felt really called that, you know what, I probably should open this up and read it. 
And like any book, I thought, well, you start at the very beginning. And I started reading, and it was going pretty good until I got to Genesis chapter 5. And this is what I read in the King James Version. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. Begat? What's that about? And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Wow, he was pretty old, but he still died. And then it goes on. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And wow, 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 wow. And I closed the book and I said, I'm going to get the begat out of here. I mean, I'm just going to leave and I don't want anything to do this. And I kind of drifted away from God and I put the Bible down and I didn't pick it up again until much later in my life. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? Has the Bible sometimes been kind of intimidating or overwhelming to you? Well, sadly for me, like I said earlier, I put it down for a while. But in my early 20s, I finally decided that I probably should give it a second chance. And so I talked to a friend of mine who said, well, you know, there's different translations to the Bible, not just the King James Version. Here's one that I think would be helpful. And it was the New Living Translation. And I said, yeah, I can understand these words and use to help you kind of read daily. And all of a sudden, as I started reading it, I drifted back to God, and there was this massive transformation that took place in my life. Now, maybe you have drifted away from reading the Bible during this whole crisis time. Or maybe for some of you, you've never really read the Bible before. You were like me, but you're thinking, well, maybe I'll give it a chance. Maybe I'll think about doing this. I'm telling you folks, we're all stuck in our homes, so it makes sense that maybe this would be a season where you would open yourself up to reading the Bible. So I want to offer you both a challenge and an opportunity, and that is for the next 30 days, we have a reading plan that you can be a part of. It's not in Genesis, okay? You don't have to be gad anything. It's actually in Luke And it's the story of Jesus, and you can be a part of that, and it could transform and change your life. And if you're like, well, I need a reading plan resource like that, you can go to our website, and you can find it there. Now, just for some of you who are really feeling lonely, if you're feeling really lonely, this is what I want to tell you. The Bible is an antidote for loneliness. We may not have an antidote right now for everything we need for the coronavirus, but the Bible, I'm telling you, are God's words, and it can help you in your loneliness because it's actually his words being given to you to let you know that he is with you, and he is for you. Now, the plan is one that's pretty simple. It takes 10 or 15 minutes a day, but I'm telling you that if you'll check this out and you'll do it for the next 30 days, I really believe that your life will be different than the way it is today and it will be changed. And so one way that you can help from not drifting, one way that you can avoid this kind of drift is to read the Bible. A second way that you can do this to avoid a drift is to pray, to pray. 
Now, to be quite honest, folks, prayer has often been very difficult for me. You know, there are dozens of scriptures on prayer, and so I would turn to them early on when I was trying to learn how to pray. And one of them was in Psalm 25, and it simply said this, To you, O Lord, I offer my prayer. To you, O Lord, I offer you my prayer. And early on, I would start out, I'd be like, To you, O Lord, I offer you my prayer. And then after that, folks, I got nothing. I mean, there were just seasons where I didn't have anything. I wasn't even sure what to pray for, to pray to, or what it is, because prayer sometimes can be difficult. And then I thought, well, what I need to do is just quiet myself a little more. So I got real quiet, real quiet. And then all of a sudden, things started flying through my head. I mean, just this week, I was trying to pray. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, you need to go to the store and get these particular items. And if you don't have them there, then you have to go to this other store. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. To you, oh, Lord, I give you my prayer. And so I start praying again. And then all of a sudden, you need to go check on your parents. Are they okay? You know, how's that going? Oh, you got some bills that you have to take care of, too. And pretty soon, it's like, you know, I, I don't have any thought whatsoever because I'm struggling to just focus on God. And so earlier this week, I thought, well, I'll go outside and that'll help. You know, I'll be in God's creation. Everything will be well. And I should have known this will be a struggle, but I started doing that. And then all of a sudden I saw a squirrel and I look at the squirrel and I'm like, I wonder if the squirrel knows anything about the coronavirus, you know? And I'm wondering to myself, like, you know, what's it like to be a squirrel? What kind of nuts do they eat? You know, that whole kind of thing. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you're a nut for even thinking about this. I mean, I don't know about you, but this is why prayer can be so hard for me. My mind can jump to absolutely anything. My ADD kicks in and I can start thinking about everything because it becomes very difficult, folks, to pray to someone, to communicate with someone that you can't see and that they actually, you know, communicate differently than you do. Is that there are more and more people that struggle just like me. The truth is, no matter who you are, how spiritual you think you are, you can think of the most spiritual person in the world, folks. This is the truth when it comes to praying to God. We're all beginners. Every single one of us. We're just learning slowly how to do that. Now, to give you an example of how prayer can be kind of difficult, I'd like you to look at a scene of a movie called Meet the Parents. Uh, the whole kind of story is about this guy named Greg who uh, has uh, found a woman that he's interested in and he wants to, you know, uh, become engaged. But there's someone standing in his way and uh, Greg is played by Ben Stiller and the person standing in his way is his fiance's dad who is played by Robert De Niro. And in the midst of all this, as they're around a supper table one evening, uh, Greg uh, is standing or sitting at the table when Robert De Niro asked Ben Stiller, would you go ahead and say the prayer? And all of a sudden, you know, Greg's really overwhelmed because now he's going to have to pray. And we were going to have Robert De Niro and Ben Stiller here, but because of the social distancing, we couldn't have so many people here. So we had to do the next best thing. And so check out this clip. Thanks for coming for dinner. I, I really appreciate it. Um, before we set the food out and everything, I was hoping maybe you could say the prayer. Well, actually, I don't 
I don't go to church every Sunday. That's all right. I mean, you prayed before, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Or said, yeah, I mean, said grace. Well, I've I've said grace over uh, thine tables before. So sure, yeah. Let's go ahead. Um, yeah. Sweet Jesus, sweet God, the Father in heaven, Lord, we pray to you this moment, God, for thine substance that you have bestowed upon us on thine table. God, we pray this to you today. By day, by day, day by day. Three things we pray to love you more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow more nearly. Day by day, by day, by day. Amen. Well, that was interesting. (laughs) Now, that was a hilarious reenactment. Folks, it's very difficult to get good health nowadays, you know. But what you saw in that kind of reenactment is how difficult and intimidating prayer can be when you're kind of put on the spot. But the reality is, is that Many times we're not put on the spot in prayer in public settings, but what's really hard and difficult is when we have to pray just one-on-one with God. You know, until I was 26 years old, um, I could do the public prayer thing. I was a young pastor, and so I could pray before meals. I could pray with my wife. I could, you know, pray with, uh, you know, anyone in the church. I could pray, you know, at, on, and pray behind that. But when it came to my private prayer life, just me and God, I was lost. I mean, I was clueless. I was out of my league, and many times I just didn't even know what to say. And finally, I talked to a friend of mine who was a lot further in uh, in the faith journey, and he told me, you know, one thing that was helpful for me, Chris, when I was learning how to pray uh, to God was I would write down my prayers. And at first, when he said that, that he wrote down his prayers, I thought that that's kind of weird. I mean, you know, what is it, like a little diary or something like that? I mean, I don't want to become a girly man, you know. And then all of a sudden he's like, no, 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 just try it. And more than anything else, what has kept me closer to God outside of the Bible is being able to take a journal and write down my prayers. More than anything else over the past 22 years, it's been able to write down my prayers. And he actually gave me an acrostic. And it's the acrostic pray. P-R-A. Why? Pray. Now, that's not too difficult, right? I mean, like, it's in the Word. You should know how to do that. But what's helpful is being able to kind of structure and organize what that looks like. So the P stands for praise. 
That's the time in which you can praise and lift God up for anything. Thank him for anything that's going on in your life. Write it down. Be grateful for it. The R is to repent. And what that word means is simply to do a 180, to say, I'm sorry, God, I don't want to stay where I'm at. I want to go the other way. And if you hurt someone or you ignored God or something else that you did that was a sin, you just say, God, I'm sorry, I repent and I want to change my life. You turn it around. The A stands for ask. And we're all good at that, right? We all know how to ask for things. And God says, ask for anything. Ask for small things, ask for big things, ask for anything. He wants to answer and hear your prayers. And so there's praise, there's repent, there's ask, and then finally there's the why, which stands for yield. Now when you think of that word yield, and I ask some of you, when you're coming up to a stoplight and it's yellow, what do you do? Some of you will say, I speed right through it. That's not what you need to be doing. You need to actually yield when you see the yellow. And yield means that I pause, that I take a moment. And when it comes to prayer, one of the things early on that I would do is I would just take one minute, because I had too much going on in my mind, I would just take one minute to yield and try to listen to God's voice. Now, uh, after several years of doing this, I've graduated. I can do 10 minutes. (laughs) And sometimes even the 10 minutes is a struggle to be able to do. But I just set my alarm on my uh, uh, phone and for 10 minutes, I'll just take time doing my best to listen to God. For example, yesterday, uh, I woke up in the morning and I was giving my 10 minutes and the word that God gave to me was the word humble. I was like, well, what does that kind of mean, God? And he says, I want you to be humble. I want you to put other people's needs above your own in a humble way. Well, my girls were with me. My wife was at the hospital uh, as a physician. She works there, and so uh, she was uh, doing that. And please be praying for all of our first responders. They're doing such an awesome job. But she was there, and all of a sudden I could tell they were getting bored of just being at home, and they wanted to do something. So I humbled myself. We put together a picnic, and we rode our bikes, and we had a picnic together. And that would have never happened, folks, if I was just in my own word world. But I was actually taking the time to listen to a word and then to be obedient. And we had a great afternoon because I took some time to yield before God. Today, folks, some of you have drifted away from God when it comes to communicating. You're so fearful, you're so scared, you're not sure that you're able to Kind of be open to him. And yet God wants to hear from you. And maybe there's some others of you. You're checking out this whole God thing for the first time. Maybe this is the first time on a live stream. And you're like, you know what? I just, I'm not even sure how to do it. Well, we want to encourage you to try this week. Just this week to kind of use that acrostic, P-R-A-Y, and that you'd spend some time. It only takes you about 10 minutes to kind of go through the process. But you could do that. And if you need some help with a resource on exactly the way to do that, you can go to our website and you can check it out under resources. And I really do believe that if you'll commit to doing that, that you can lean into hope and lean away from fear. So how do we avoid the drift? We read the Bible, we pray, 
And then the last thing is we reach out to other people. We reach out to others. You know, the biggest illusion, I think, in church world is that if you build a building, that people will flock to it. Well, if anything, what you know and what I know is that the church buildings are empty. There's no one there. We're not going to church, so we have to be the church. That's why we're on the live stream right now. And in the midst of that, though, people many times, once this thing's over, people will say, oh, we need to just build the building. Kind of reminds me of uh, one of my favorite movies, Filled of Dreams. You might remember that Kevin Costner kind of is acting as this guy who builds a baseball diamond in the back of his yard. And uh, in the midst of that movie, there's a quote that comes out and it says, if you build it, they will come. Well, folks, that might work for Hollywood and Field of Dreams, but I'm telling you, uh, it doesn't matter how big the church building is right now, it's empty. So it's not about us simply being in a building, but we need to be the church. It doesn't work just to say, build it and they will come. Folks, people this morning... When they woke up, they didn't think to themselves, I wonder if there is a church service somewhere because they knew it didn't exist because we're all being kind of quarantined during this time. And even before this time, people did not kind of wake up and go, oh, I wonder where I could go to church today. I wonder what the service is. People probably are not even like streaming, looking around, trying to find different churches to uh, see what they could watch on the live stream. Folks, every single person who's on this side or on that side of the camera looking at me right now, you're probably there because somebody, what? They invited you. And since the very beginning, the whole method of Christian-dependent faith, it's all about inviting other folks. In fact, that's the way Jesus kind of started. He was walking just on a beach one day and he looked up and he saw a fisherman, a guy by the name of Andrew. And he said, hey, come here. I want to invite you to something. And so Andrew did that. And uh, all of a sudden he's like, well, my brother's up there, Peter. And he said, well, he can be invited too. And so the scripture tells us that Andrew went back to Peter and the scripture simply says this, and he brought him to Jesus. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew simply gave the invitation to Peter and then brought him to meet him. And that's the way it continued on within the disciples. There's a guy by the name of Philip. Jesus comes to him and says, hey, I want to invite you to something. Come on. It's invited. He loves Jesus. He loves his message. And he goes to his friend Nathaniel. And he goes to Nathaniel. And these are the only words that he says to him. He says, Come and see. Come and see. I want you to come and see this man named Jesus. He didn't invite him to church. He actually invited him to come and meet Jesus. And you can do that right where you're at. And folks, for over 2,000 years, that's been our strategy. If you're there for the first time and you're like not so sure about faith, and you're like, well, how do they do it? I'm telling you. You, the word is out. You know Jesus, and Jesus works in their life, and he does a move in their life, and their lives change. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. And when we do that, folks, God moves and changes 
lives. You know, since we've gone to this live stream, it's been amazing to me how many people in our church have given stories of how they've invited people. One was from a lady in our church who said this. She said, I've been praying for my sister for years and years. I asked her to watch the live stream and she said, yes, I'd invited her to church, but she always said no. But to the live stream, she came and she actually enjoyed it. (laughs) That helps me, folks, when you actually enjoy it. Okay. And she said, as I was watching it, all of a sudden I started noticing these other names of people that were watching as well. And I know they weren't connected to church. And then my daughter-in-law came up on there. And my sister has been listening to it. And I've never seen her more excited about something in her life. Another person, uh, a guy in our church, he shared these words. He said, my brother has been distant from the church for many years. During this pandemic that we're facing, he and his family became ill and they were were required to be self-quarantined. And since the jar was to offer its first live stream celebration, I invited all of my family to go and I think he felt a little bit guilty about the fact that if he didn't jump on, family watched the celebration and my brother renewed his faith in Christ. And then his fiance, check this out. His fiance asked Jesus to forgive her of her sins. And at the same time to forgive everyone who had hurt her in her life, including someone who was an old abuser. Folks, that only happens because of the marvelous movement of God, the mysterious ways that he works when we simply reach out and we invite others. Folks, God is working through this stream. It's unique. It's different. It's, you know, something that sometimes the stream goes off or we see the words differently or whatever. But I'm telling you, keep inviting, keep reaching because people are being touched and blessed because of your invitations. You know, uh, three years after I'd been pastoring, uh, in Flora, Indiana. So hi, all of you people in Flora. I know some of you are watching. It's a, uh, a city and a county where there's more hogs than people, okay? And uh, I have a come and see mentality. I had a get away from me, and I'm only about the church. And so I got in these holy huddle cuddles with all of the church people, and I was thinking about only the church people, and I didn't care about anyone else that was outside. I couldn't give a rip for people outside of faith. I was only thinking about those inside the church. And then after about three years of being there, something totally changed and transformed my life. You see, I was sitting on my porch of the parsonage. A parsonage is just a house that the church buys for their pastor. And while I was sitting on this porch one evening, there was these emergency vehicles that went down the road uh, kind of three houses down. Well, it wasn't the first time that I'd ever seen emergency vehicles go there. I'd seen police cars go there many times before. And it was a group of people that I just didn't associate with. Honestly, I never even said hi for the first three years we were there. They would kind of drive by and I just ignored them. And I mean, why would I want to be a part of their life? 
They would play this hard, heavy metal music all the time, late at night. It would keep me up. I'd get so frustrated. And then their kids would go to the parking lot, and they'd shoot baskets and be real loud. And then they'd smoke cigarettes and leave them on the church parking lot. And I thought to myself, you know, we got to do something about this. So we actually got a group of people that went and told them they couldn't be on the church property anymore. And that was me, and I didn't think anything about it. I'm not happy the way I acted, but that's the truth of who I was. And then on this particular night, these police cars went by, and then all of a sudden some ambulances went by, and I saw it all down there, and I remember looking down the road and thinking, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to get involved. And the next day, I got a phone call from one of our neighbors and said, the man who lived at that house, Ivan, took his life by suicide. And even then, you would think, well, you're a pastor. Be compassionate. And the person just asked, well, can you come and comfort them? And I said, well, you know what? I got a lot of church stuff today. Maybe later today, but I I can't. Again, I'm not proud of this, folks. But it's who I am. It's who I was. And then a little bit later, I got a phone call from the funeral director. He said, hey, they don't have a pastor. They don't have anyone. I know you live just down the road. Would you be willing to do the funeral? And I said, no, I'm I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm sorry. And then check this out. I leave from that place. I go to a little room in the parsonage. I open up the Bible. I start trying to pray to this God. And all of a sudden, I got this moment of power from the Spirit of God, one of the first whispers I ever got in my life. And this was it. What are you doing? What are you doing? There's people, Chris, just a couple doors down. And you're worried about your Bible and prayer. And they're grieving And they're hurting, and you don't care. And it was in that moment that it came to me that I needed to call the funeral director back, and I needed to say, hey, I'm sorry, I I was wrong. And and I did. I called. His name is Jerry Rinke. And I said, hey, I'm so sorry. That's not the person I want to be. And I said, I'll do the funeral. And then I took the longest walk I can ever remember taking. It was only three houses down. But I walked into this room of this family who had just lost their dad and their husband. And there was Maria and her husband, or or her son, Tony. Maria and her son, Tony, mourning over the loss of their husband, Ivan. And they were weeping and crying, and I started crying and weeping with them. And I told them, I'll do the funeral. And then I remember walking out of the house. When I walked out of that house, there were tears in my life, and God moved in my life in such an incredible way. And said, Chris, I never want you to see people like that again. And so we organized and we planned uh, the funeral together. And 
there was this real sense that I wasn't sure, you know, what was going to happen. And what was so cool and amazing about this whole process is that when we got ready for Ivan's funeral, there was no seats left. It was packed. There were the most people ever in the history of that church at that funeral to that point. Every biker was there. Every make-up woman was there. All the rebellious kids in the town, they were there. And everyone kind of smelled like cigarettes and, you know, some of that wacky tobacco, okay? And it was all like in there. And it was the largest crowd ever in the first three years. And I wasn't sure how to close it. And so at the very end, I just put up a picture. And this was the picture. A picture of Jesus knocking on a door. And at the end of the funeral, I did something that I had never done before. I was always kind of afraid of it, but I said, if if you want to open the door to Christ, um, I just want you to raise your hand. And all of a sudden, there were hands being raised, 19 in fact, and I was almost like, put them down. (laughs) You know, I was like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it didn't help. They, They just kept it up and they came to Christ. And I'll never forget that experience in my entire life. And it was in that moment that I committed myself never to be so judgmental and never to just forget people. But I wanted to be there for anyone and everyone. And that I would stop living that kind of life. And I would reach out to all people because all people matter to God. You know, next week, folks, is Easter. And I simply have one question for you. Who is your Maria? Who could you invite? Who could you text? Who could you invite to be a part of the live stream? Is there one or two or maybe three people? Maybe some of you have those, you know, Facebook kind of uh, uh, groups that get together. I don't even know what they are, but you probably do. So just do it. And invite people to come and to experience what God's going to do in this Easter celebration. And if you need help with an invitation, you're like, I don't know how I would write the words. You can simply go to our website and our resources right there have an opportunity for you to download that, take it, copy it, cut and paste it, send it out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, to invite people, text them, pick up the phone, FaceTime, whatever it is that you could invite. Well, with Maria's story, I invited her the next week to come to church after I had the funeral. And she said, yeah, I'll come. And she brought her three kids, and they just kept coming week after week after week. And then eventually, after six months of coming to church, they actually gave their one and only life to Christ. And then they got baptized, and it was such a celebration. And I still keep in contact with them periodically, and they sent me a picture of them here. Now, here's the thing, folks. I didn't do anything. I didn't have any gifts. In fact, I had the hardest heart towards them that one could have. And yet God softened my heart. And he said, if you'll take a risk, Chris, and you won't live in contagious fear, but contagious hope, I will do a miracle. I will move in a way that only you could see through my hands. Not because of you, but because of what I'm going to do. 
And so this week, folks, what are you going to be contagious to? To fear or to hope? Could you be contagious to reading your Bible, to saying, hey, for the next 30 days I'm going to do that, or to prayer, that this week I'm going to use that acrostic, or to reach out to someone? This is what I want to tell you, that if you'll take the risk, God will do an incredible move in your life and the life of the person that you invite. Mountains are still being moved Strongholds are still being loose God, we believe Yes, we can see Wonders are still what you do Bodies are still being raised Giants are still being slain God, we believe, yes, we can see, the wonders are still what you do. We are here for you, come and do what you do. We are here for you, come and do what you do. Before we uh, go into the bridge, 
There's a, there's a line in the bridge that says healing is coming in this room. And we're, uh, we're going to sing that together as a family. And I know that it's a little bit different in different rooms. But just know if this is the first time that you've ever tuned into this live stream or whether it's the 50th that, we, uh, that you've experienced a celebration this morning. That we can experience healing in the rooms where we are. Whether you're by yourself or whether you're with your family. And so we're going to go ahead together. So let's just close our eyes wherever we're at and let's go ahead and pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this worship and the message you've provided us, Father. Just remind us that you can still heal us, Father, that there are great works to be had in our lives, Father, that there's great things ahead for us, Father. So we just ask that you be with us as we sing these words in the bridge, Father, that wherever we are, whatever we're going through, Father, whatever we need healing from, Father, Just speak to us this morning and let us truly sing these words to you, Father. Let us give you these words. Soften our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name. Miracles happen when you move. Healing is coming in this room. Miracles happen. fear is or whatever healing they need, God, would you do that for them? And God, we we want to be a healed people so that we can be healing to others. So that we can be able to be contagious with a hope that is shared to people who are experiencing so much fear right now. And so, God, I pray that this week that you might help us to be a people of contagious hope. 
of hope that goes beyond ourselves to reach into the hearts and the lives of our friends, families, neighbors, co-workers. That, God, you would do a move. And, God, we pray that you would give us the strength to, to be able to be contagious by reading the Bible and praying and then reaching out to others. God, that you would create a foundation for us so that then you would be able to speak whispers into our lives that we could reach out and show love to others. And God, I'm so mindful that the story of Maria would have never happened, God, had there not been time for me to be open to listen to your voice. So God, would you move in people's lives to let them hear from you this week? Now the truth is, maybe you're sitting there right now, and the reality is, is that you need hope. You're feeling so overwhelmed, you're feeling so scared, you're afraid, and I just want to ask you to do something that's kind of bold, but no one's going to see it. Would you just get on your knees right now to the God of the universe? Because he is incredibly in love with you, and he doesn't want you to go through this alone. And if you've never made a commitment to Christ before, make today the day. If you want to make that commitment, you can just start saying a prayer, a a very simple prayer, but it's a prayer that I'll lead you through. And you don't say it alone, but there are hundreds of people that will say this and they're encouraged to build you up and to let you know that there is hope to cope through this season. So I invite you right now to just close your eyes, bow your head, and to repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me. Make me new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life, God. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you said that prayer for the first time, we are so excited. We're uh, clapping. All of heaven is clapping and celebrating for you. And you can simply go to our website if you want, or you can connect with someone that's online right now and say, hey, I want Jesus in my life. They'll help you through that. If you need prayer for anything, we want to be there to help you with prayer as well. And enjoy having contagious hope now and no longer living in fear. And so I just want you to know that I love you guys. I'm praying for you. If you're still working, be safe. If you can help us financially in any way, please give. And uh, know that you're always loved wherever you're at. And I'll see you next Sunday when we celebrate Easter. Have a good week, everybody.